Yep, it's Elon time. Once again. Dab. Mr. Musk, here's that attention you ordered. We made it extra cringe just for you. Uh-huh. And here's some huge news for a guy who definitely sees himself as the main character of reality. Elon Musk is going to be the main character of a movie. Wow. Cool, huh? An Elon Musk biopic from director Darren Aronofsky, (laughs) the man behind such films as Black Swan, The Wrestler, and Requiem for a Dream. And Mother as well, right? Yeah, Yeah. I'm like one of the like five people on earth who actually enjoyed Mother. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of seeing all of his movies one time. Yeah, Uh, because generally, uh, generally the vibe. Yeah, very unsettling. I think I saw The Wrestler more than once, but other than that, and definitely, you know. College 2004 Requiem for a Dream yes. was kind of playing all the time. I was just going to say, that's the one that I've seen multiple times because it was something that everyone showed friends and stuff. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, that did some damage to me at a young age. But yeah, other than that, yeah, they're pretty much all one and dones. And in the case of The Wrestler, it's, it's a, or in the case of uh, The Whale, yeah. it's a movie I wish I had never watched because oh. it fucking sucks. <laughs> I haven't no, seen that No one. offense to Brendan Fraser. He really, he gave it 110%, but that movie is fucking trash. Well, all of that to say, a movie about Elon Musk by Darren Aronofsky yeah. is, at the very least, interesting. Yeah, it, it is a bit and of And for an, him, concerning. <laughs> it's a bit of an odd choice yeah. for a director who is mainly known for movies that are um, creatively unconventional and generally just extremely bleak. But hey, uh, a lot of people said similar things about David Fincher when he first announced The Social Network. And that movie was not only great, but it's managed to really stand the test of time. Surprisingly. But will Aronofsky's Elon Musk biopic do the right thing and take the Social Network approach of exposing what a sociopathic little worm its protagonist is? Well, here's Engadget. We all knew it was just a matter of time before one of the world's richest and most controversial men would get the biopic treatment, and now it's happening. Elon Musk is getting his very own movie, helmed by acclaimed director Darren Aronofsky and produced by A24, as originally reported by Variety. The film's going to be based on Walter Isaacson's authorized biography, which has received its share of unfavorable reviews with outlets like the Los Angeles Times suggesting the author mostly accepts Musk's confident prognostications as gospel and The Guardian calling it an insight-free doorstop. Damn. (laughs) Not all reviews were that dire, of course, but many point to Isaacson's book as being a clear example of the perils of access journalism. Okay, so yeah, that's a, a bit disappointing. Though, Could be just based on the true story, though, and then, you know. I mean, there was a bidding war for the the film rights to this book, um, and I think that's really just, it could be that everyone wants to make an Elon Musk movie, hmm. and because a lot of the source materials in that book, it's good to have the rights. I don't know. Based on the story that we covered last week about him running home from the uh, Dave Chappelle Appearance where he got booed and then locked himself in the in the uh, in his office. Yeah, I would love to see a Benny Safdie or a Safdie Brothers directed film yeah. about Elon Musk. They play uh, Nirvana something in the way while yes. he's uh, locking himself in in the office. Yeah, crying. just uh, watching a manic episode end with Elon Musk as the main character would be really stressful in a way that I only think the Safdies could really do it. You gotta watch the curse. I know. I'm. I, I know. I'm saving it. A but bit. you know, brace yourself. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It, it's not like there isn't still plenty of material in the book that reflects very poorly on Elon Musk. It's just that the book's central thesis seems to be that Elon's 
innovative genius and accomplishments excuse his faults, his many faults, as an actual human being. Also, trimming 700 pages covering a guy's entire personal and professional life down to a two-hour movie, that's going to be tricky. Mm-hmm. Unless, I guess, movies are just four and a half hours now. That's just what we they do. They should do no explanation, and uh, it's a, it shows him in the late 90s, bald. And then yeah. it just cuts forward to present time with a full head of hair. That would be a great gag. There's a lot of, gar- <laughs> a lot of potential with this. I, yeah. I, I, absolutely. I'm just skeptical uh-huh. that it can really capture the magic of Elon as we know him. Yeah. So, yeah, really, who the hell knows what this movie is going to be even about? Uh, and, yet yeah, the biggest question of all is, who's going to play Elon? I mean, you need someone who can properly pull off that weird accent of his, which... I always, for the longest time, assumed was just a South African accent until multiple South Africans on the internet were like, no, we don't really know what he's doing. He's mm. doing his own thing with that. That's a, that's the Elon accent. Yeah. So, I don't know, Matt Damon has played a South African before in Invictus, and he kind of fits the bill physically. He's one possibility, I uh, guess. Gosh, who was the guy that was in, like, Chappie in District 9? Charlto? Yeah. Copley? Copley, I think. yeah. Charlto Copley. Uh, he doesn't look like Elon, like, at all, though. Mm, yeah. Like, not, so. like, he's he's very, Charlto's very, like, uh, angular. Yeah, true. Uh, Matt Damon kind of looks like him. A lot of people are saying they want Nicolas Cage to play him, which oh. is hilarious because Cage famously cannot do accents well. Mm-hmm. He just sort of acts through them. Like, even in Renfield, <laughs> that fucking Dracula <laughs> accent was, like, Beautiful atrocious, movie. but he's still, he was still great in the role, but it's just like, yeah. Jesus Christ, Nick. Well, uh, Elon's probably going to campaign to play himself, uh, but also... Well, yeah, he's already proven his acting chops with that uh, stellar guest appearance on SNL. That's, yeah. All I'll say is this is going to be a tough one to tackle because Elon's story continues to play out in the most dramatic way possible. Yeah, that's... Like, we are at the... We are at some point going to hit the peak of the drama surrounding him, and it, we've yet to get there. Right. It's like, when does the story conclude? Yeah. Also, well, it's but like... That's, this, the Social Network still works as a movie, so it's not like... The Social Network frames the story around sort of a central plot yeah. about the betrayal of the formation of Facebook. Mm-hmm. I don't know where... I mean, I'm sure there's moments from Elon's life. I mean, like, the Steve Jobs movie was pretty well done. Well, there was a pretty clear-cut finish line on that movie because he died. No, Whereas, but it wasn't like a biopic like that. It yeah. was he didn't die in the movie. Mm-hmm. He just picked like three moments like ten years apart from his life to like demonstrate basically his personal growth in like very specific ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I still don't know how to apply that to the Elon Musk story. Yeah, we won't know more about the project for a while. So let's just move on to an Elon Musk project that was recently released. And the reviews are in. It stinks. To build off the hype of the Cybertruck, which supposedly starts finally getting delivered in just two weeks. And that is four years after being announced. And we'll see what that release looks like. Uh, Tesla apparently released a limited edition beer called Cyber Beer, which mm. went up for sale last month with two 11.2 ounce Cyber Beers going for $150. US <laughs> Fuck you. That might seem like an absurd price that only the most obsequious Elon stands would be willing to pay. But keep in mind, that price also includes two beer steins, which, like the bottles and like the Cybertruck itself, look like low-poly models from a PS1 game. And therefore awesome. Am I right? Sure. It looks so cool. Yeah. 
So yeah, you're paying an exorbitant price for some limited edition swag beer that most buyers are probably just going to put on their shelves mm -hmm. and never open. But, you know, there's probably still some Tesla fans out there who are also beer fans, and they, they actually want to try the beer. Because, I mean, listen, if this beer is anything like all of Elon's other tremendous accomplishments, it's probably the best tasting beer ever brewed. Yeah, who could mess something so simple up? Well, turns out, no. It's not good. Twitter user Brian Stone, who pays Elon for a blue checkmark and describes himself in his bio as a Tesla Model S owner and real estate investor, post on Tuesday, Tesla cyber beer is hot garbage. Not only is the lid rusted, but the beer is also nasty. This was a miss at Elon Musk, along with some photos showing off the rust on the cap and just all over the mouth of the bottle. Mm. Gross. Yeah. And uh, over on the Cybertruck subreddit, a, a post, apparently from someone else, features a different photo showing a similar situation with their cyber beer, just covered in rust, much like the Cybertruck itself, which is made out of stainless steel all across it. What will those look like in just a few short years? I my, guess we'll see. My hypothesis on this beer situation is that they had these made immediately following the announcement and the very aggressive time yeah. frame that they were supposed to release this truck They've in. been sitting in a warehouse in um, Texas. Yeah, just rotting. refrigerated. Just rotting. Yeah, this... And then in, in his mind, it's like, whoa, I'm just aging it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he would, like... He... Also, this is one of the most expensive beers in the world. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, especially when we were on the, the nerd circuit, I mean, there's, like, limited edition beers for everything. Yeah. But uh, usually... Even it... that, like, Sam Adams ultra-expensive beer... Is, oh, they, yeah, that that one's... But that's, like, that's for real aficionados. I'm talking about, like, IP. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, like, Mondo, I think, did, like, a Game of Thrones beer yes, every year did, yeah. for a while. But that was always... They teamed up with, like, a respected brewery. brewery. It was actually yeah. intended for they, human uh, consumption. Elon probably partnered with that proud dad uh, uh, anti-woke beer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> proud dad anti-woke. Is that even a thing? Remember the beer that they, they did the, to, to compete with Bud Light? Did that ever come out, though? Uh, I think that it, it in All very limited quantities. No, it did. I, no, the, the brewery yeah, said the brewery no. Like, no we're not they doing found that. A, another brewery in like Georgia or something. Someone with no morals. Well, in the initial trailer, he comes out of like the men's room, yeah, <laughs> holding the beer. So yes. it's, it's homemade. Literally, his piss. Yeah. Anyways, when another verified Tesla superfan with the handle Tesla John. <laughs> <laughs> replied to ask why Brian still drank the cyber beer even after discovering all that rust. Brian replied, because I paid $75 per bottle. I forced myself to drink it all. Mm. And this exact uh, emotional sunk cost fallacy is, in my opinion, what is keeping a good portion of the Tesla fandom from just admitting that the Cybertruck is a hideous, stupid car that should have been presented as a concept vehicle and nothing more. Mm -hmm. No, I decided that this is what I like. And that shall remain. Have you guys seen the Emperor's new truck? Mm. <laughs> it's beautiful, isn't it? Tesla has had four years to figure out how to actually mass produce the damn thing. And even when it finally ships, it will only be to a few thousand customers who reserved their Cybertrucks all the way back in 2019. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that some of the people chosen by lottery to receive their Cybertrucks at the end of the month have changed their minds over the last few years about yeah. whether they actually want one. Which brings us to some unusual language recently discovered in Tesla's terms and conditions. Here's Business Insider. Customers set to receive the first Tesla Cybertrucks this November can't resell their vehicles during the first year, according to Tesla's terms and conditions. Tesla added a section titled, For Cybertruck Only, 
to its motor vehicle order agreement, which laid out the new rules. You agree that you will not sell or otherwise attempt to sell the vehicle within the first year following your vehicle's delivery date, it says. Tesla may seek injunctive relief to prevent the transfer of title of the vehicle or demand liquidated damages from you in the amount of $50,000 or the value received as consideration for the sale or transfer, whichever is greater. Tesla may also refuse to sell you any future vehicles, it says. You're banned. Wow. So, I mean, look, the reasoning behind this is pretty obvious. There is not nearly enough Cybertrucks to go around. And when supply is low and demand is high, that's a great resale market. Mm -hmm. Right for Christmas, too. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, (laughs) it's got a big old bow on it. Uh I want a divorce. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, the people at the front of the line, they could get their Cybertruck at the list price. Whatever the fuck that is, it's still a complete mystery, but... They'll figure it out when their cards are charged. You you would think by now we would know what this thing costs, or even a ballpark estimate. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll find out. But yeah, they pay the list price, whatever that is, and then they just turn around and resell the car to someone farther back in the line for way more than they paid. Theoretically. Theoretically. Yeah. Uh, so the resale buyer would then cancel their order, and Tesla wouldn't get any of their money. And these kinds of resale penalties are actually pretty common with really high-end, limited-production supercar-type things. But the Cybertruck is supposed to be a mass-produced vehicle. So this news, it got Tesla investors and analysts really worried that Tesla would not be able to fulfill its 750,000 Cybertruck reservations anytime soon, which is probably the case. But to calm everyone down, Tesla reversed course on this resale penalty after just one day, though the damage was... Kind of already done. This truck is already on StockX. There's nothing we can do. Uh, Here's Business Insider again. Tesla's rescinded $50,000 resale fee is the latest sign the Cybertruck won't hit the market in large numbers anytime soon. Tesla spooked some investors and Cybertruck order holders on Monday with an unusual clause in their terms and conditions that made resale in the first year punishable with a (laughs) $50,000 lawsuit. By Tuesday morning, the clause had vanished from the Cybertruck sales agreement. Experts say the initial inclusion of those resale restrictions is a sign that Tesla's long-awaited truck launch might not be a high-volume play by Elon Musk. These restrictions are rare, but they're most commonly used on limited production vehicles. Stephen Beck, founder and managing partner of consultancy CG42, told Business Insider, Elon and company were very clearly viewing this as a limited production vehicle, Beck said. No, they're going to make a million of these. Every They're going to be able to make... 300,000 of them a year. And they're going to come out perfect down to a a, a measurement. Micrometer. Yeah, Nanometers, maybe. We'll see. Anyways, we very much look forward to finally seeing rubes driving these things out on the road in just a few weeks. I don't, because they're going to kill someone. Oh, well. Yeah. Not that that's any different than most of the other cars on the road. True. But uh, when someone gets hit by a Cybertruck, they'll also, in addition to blunt force trauma, they'll also be lacerated. Yes. By the angles. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's definitely going to be at least a few here in L.A. You can count on it. But in other Musk news, he's always got at least a dozen subplots going on at any given time. And Mm -hmm. one of them is his relationship with Grimes. Grimes. His ex-girlfriend and the mother to three of his 11 children. That we know about. Last we heard, Grimes was alleging that Elon wouldn't let her see her kids and was suing him for custody. And we now have an update on that via, again, Business Insider. Grimes hired people to search high and low for her kid's father, Elon Musk, to serve him with custody papers, according to court records obtained by Insider. The singer, whose legal name is Claire Boucher, is suing Musk for physical custody of their three children. Grimes told the Texas court in October that Musk had custody of her three-year-old son, X-A-A... Ugh! Over her (laughs) objection. 
Her lawsuit came just a few weeks after Musk quietly sued her to establish the parent-child relationship with his children. A lawyer for Grimes filed a supplemental proof of service document last Friday showing they had attempted to serve Musk with custody papers on multiple occasions and had delivered the documents via substituted service, meaning the papers were given to workers at some of Musk's businesses, as well as staff at a property associated with the billionaire instead of Musk himself. <laughs> this is why he shut down the jet tracker. Yeah, the, the, all the lawyers trying to serve him me. with lawsuits. It's a very useful tool for process. Not service. just the Grimes uh, custody battle, just no, every he, lawsuit possible. You guys know he, he he loves getting sued. He gets yeah. sued all the time. It's his favorite pastime. He loves it, but he wants to. You know, it's all it's only fun if you if you make it hard for him. Yeah. Anyway, it continues. Grimes hired four process servers to deliver the papers. From October 13th to October 20th, they tried to track the billionaire down across at least a dozen locations, including X's headquarters in San Francisco, SpaceX's launch site in Boca Chica, Texas, Tesla's Austin Gigafactory, and several addresses associated with Musk near Austin. One of the process servers even went to a horse farm <laughs> that had been tied to the billionaire. <laughs> Wait, where'd all that's, the horses go? That's a callback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, he gave away all these horses? I tried to serve them with the lawsuit, but they they, they were like, no. They kept offering me a hey, horse. Here, here's a horse to, for your trouble to yeah. make this go away. Uh-huh. Nope, not here, a woman on the site told them when they asked for Musk. One process server even tracked Musk's private jets to yeah. confirm the best place to contact the billionaire, Grimes' court papers said. Two process servers also attempted to serve Musk at Siobhan Zillis' house. Zillis is a director at Neuralink, one of Musk's startups, and the mother of two of his children. That we know about. But in at least one instance, the person who answered the door at Zillis's house told the process server they didn't know Musk, the court <laughs> documents said. The process servers were unable to deliver the court documents to Musk personally and were shooed away in several instances, including by security personnel at Tesla and X and by a police officer in Boca Chica. The servers said they left the papers with several secondary personnel, including security workers at X, Tesla, and SpaceX, according to the court documents. Um, yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, so anyways, when you sue someone, you can't just mail a lawsuit to them. You have to hire a process server to physically serve them the documents before anything can proceed. With normal people, it's not a huge problem. But when the person being sued spends all their time ensconced in private jets and at offices across the country surrounded by layers of security, turns out it's pretty hard to serve them. In California, the courts generally see three reasonable attempts as enough, especially when the paperwork has been handed off to someone who can then hand it off to the recipient. So the court documents the article references are basically Grimes' lawyers trying to get the court to agree that even though Elon hasn't been properly served, the lawsuit can still proceed. I don't know. I think they have one last chance, and they yep. someone yeah. specifically that they can order. <laughs> Dog the bounty hunter. What were you going to say? Uh, no, I, that's... If anyone can. Yeah, I think that it's time for A&E to look past all of his countless discrepancies and uh, moral shortcomings and say, one last ride. Yeah. You've got to serve Elon Musk. Let's give Dog one more bone. Yeah. And it's, it's perfectly legal uh, to hit him with the bear mace if he uh, denies being served. Yeah. Yeah. But he gets a cigarette. Woof, woof. Hey, buddy, here's a cigarette. Go with Christ. Uh, but hey, uh, maybe... At the big Cybertruck event, we can finally get a, a moment like the time Jason Sudeikis, process server, managed to sneak into CinemaCon and serve Olivia Wilde with custody papers while she was on stage promoting a movie. Yeah, I bet, like, in the process server community, that that person is just, like, a god. Yeah. Like, how the fuck do How do we do top that? Because, yeah, like, that person had to, like, go through so many layers of, like, security mm -hmm. to get 
literally right in front of Olivia Wilde while she was on stage mm-hmm. to serve her the papers. So maybe, uh, I, Graham, maybe Graham should hire that person. Yes. Whoever they are. Because they seem to have a particular set of skills. It's very exciting stuff. But it, w- it would be fucking hilarious if that's what happens at the Cybertruck event. Yeah. That would be amazing. I, 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 in, a, in a creative way. Yeah. Maybe uh, it's hidden in one of those beers and he pops it open. <laughs> no, oh, no, I've been that's served. That's not a beer. This is a lawsuit. You've yeah. been served, Mr. Musk. Anyways, that's it for the Musk news, but we've got plenty more news Wait, coming up. Wait, you didn't up. Uh, leave in the Elon Musk being He's a, a fucking Nazi. Like, I'm not even... There's a new reply where he like, just I, cosigns on some of the most the thing, unbelievable the, shit you've he, ever read. He replies to something saying, like, you're absolutely right. And, like, the thing he replies to is, like, so fucking out of pocket that <laughs> I don't think we can even say it on yeah, the show. It, yeah, exactly. It's, like, simultaneously anti-Semitic, anti-Islamic, <laughs> and racist. just, like, generally speaking, racist. And Musk was like... There is nothing wrong with the statement. Yeah. In fact, it's correct. No notes. I completely co-signed everything it. you just said. Uh, wild. But that was posted pretty much right before we came in. So uh, the fallout of that, of which yeah. there probably won't be much, I mean, it's not, remains to be seen. It's not super shocking. No. But What's it's, more shocking is Caitlyn Jenner saying the, the R word, which was another thing that happened on Twitter right before we came in. <sighs> President Xi, fire away. He's, already, he, he's here. He can't do it right now. No. Yeah. Shit. Uh-huh. Well, I wish he hadn't done that. He said he's going to turn off the fentanyl uh, faucet, though. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I'm I mean, sure America's police will be happy about that. <laughs> they're, they're, they're stoked. Can finally yeah. breathe. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we've got plenty more news coming up. But first, this episode is sponsored by Masterclass. I thought the movie Killers of the Flower Moon was great, even though it was so damn long. So I figured what better time than now to check out Martin Scorsese's filmmaking class. Mm. I'm not planning on directing a movie anytime soon, but I still wanted to hear him describe his process. And there's honestly some great general purpose advice in there about whatever you're doing, like the importance of having trusted collaborators on your side and rolling with the punches instead of rigidly sticking with your original plan. So thanks, Martin. But I already have a trusted collaborator on my side, and his name is Ricky. Yeah. And now he's going to tell you more about Masterclass. The great part about the Scorsese Masterclass is after you finish it, you're allowed to call him Marty. Yeah. You earned that right. (laughs) That's right. Masterclass (laughs) makes a meaningful gift this season for you and anyone on your list because both of you can learn from the best to become your best, from leadership to effective communication to cooking. Whether you're watching Masterclass on TV, listening in audio mode, in the app, or on their site, the quality speaks for itself. It's like Masterclass instructors are your own personal mentors that are going to help you reach the next level. How much would it cost to take one-on-one classes from the world's best? Easily hundreds to thousands of dollars. But with Masterclass's annual membership, it's $10 a month. Memberships start at $120 a year for unlimited access to one-on-one classes with all 180-plus Masterclass instructors. Learn how to negotiate a raise with Chris Voss or manage your relationships with Esther Peril. Yeah, there's more than 180 classes on there with new classes added every month, like Roy Choi's Intuitive Cooking Class, where I learned that all those delicious Korean barbecue flavors that I love uh, actually aren't that hard to whip up myself in my own kitchen. Mm-hmm. He literally showed me step-by-step step, how to make his world-famous Kogi tacos straight from the man himself. This is valuable information. Mm-hmm. And he's just one of over a dozen famous chefs sharing their secrets on Masterclass. Boost your confidence and find practical takeaways that you can apply to your life and at work. And if you own a business or are a team leader, use Masterclass to empower and create future-ready employees and leaders. This holiday season, Give one annual membership and get one free at masterclass.com newsday. 
Right now, you can get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com slash newsday. Masterclass.com slash newsday. Offer terms apply. Uh, all right, back to the news now. And we've already covered our favorite billionaire dickhead. But let's talk about another billionaire dickhead we only recently gained a true appreciation for. Mark Andreessen made his first billions way back in the 90s with the web browser Netscape Navigator, and since then has mainly been a venture capital guy. He takes his vast fortune and uses it to fund startups with the goal of getting a handsome return on his investment. And in recent years, that's meant getting behind trends like cryptocurrency, NFTs, and AI. If Mark Andreessen was just a guy with a bunch of money, though, he wouldn't really be on anyone's radar. What's newsworthy is just how pompous and annoying Mark Andreessen <laughs> is about promoting the technologies he's heavily invested in. Also, the shape of his head. Noteworthy. Yeah. Very egg-like. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, that's how you fit all those brains in there. Yeah, he's got a pointy brain. Uh-huh. Recently, we saw this in action in a manifesto Andreessen wrote about AI in which he claimed that people trying to impose limits on AI development were committing murder because AI is obviously going to save the world. And therefore, anyone who opposes it is responsible for all the future deaths that could have been prevented by AI. It was his uh, Will Smith tweet moment. Uh, what was the director's name that tweeted, he could have killed oh, him. Oh, uh, Judd Apatow. Yeah, Judd Apatow. Yeah, well, in this case, if you oppose AI, you are killing people. Uh -huh. There's no, nothing hypothetical about it. You're a fucking murderer. What if the you, AI you could, belong in prison. could come up with a way to not be allergic to bees? And, and, and you stopped that from happening, and then someone got stung by bees. Yeah. Yeah. And then they died. Macaulay Culkin would still be alive if you hadn't, if you hadn't opposed AI uh -huh. making a cure for bees. We had a chance for people to watch My Girl and say, well, I don't get what the big deal is. He's yeah. just being stung he by bees. He stung by a bee, but AI solves this. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Mark Andreessen's AI, this what is an no longer a problem. Movie. So now him and uh, Anna Chlumsky can, uh, <laughs> can live happily forever after. Uh-huh. But no. no. No, you want that little boy to die. From a fucking bee sting. Because you, you want monster. To guardrails on artificial intelligence. <laughs> Losers. Anyway, Mark is back at it again, making hilarious arguments in favor of AI that are clearly motivated entirely by his wallet. Uh, here is yet again Business Insider. They do great work. Which, for some reason, every story we've covered today has sourced back to, you know, a lot of people, a lot of outlets will cover something, but they'll be like, here's what Business Insider wrote. And for yeah. some reason, everything we've talked about so far originates from a Business Insider article. Also, uh, they, it's Business Insider again. It was Business Insider for years. And then it was Insider, which I thought was great. Yeah. Because it's not always just business. But now it's Business Insider again. I, it, are you sure? Because it changes based on whatever link you're looking at. No, I tested it's this. If back. you go to insider.com, it says Business Insider right at the top. Oh, the, uh, the geniuses are at work again, figuring yeah. out ways to confuse people even more. You have a perfectly good, very tight, Nothing can ever name. just be. You <laughs> always have to iterate. I hope the investors are happy. We changed the name again. So time to go on Christmas vacation. We asked an AI what to do. It yeah. said, uh, hmm, you love business, huh? Business makes money. Money means business. Business insider. Bam. Anyway, here you go. Andreessen Horowitz is warning that billions of dollars in AI investments could be worth a lot less <laughs> if companies developing the technology are forced to pay for the copyrighted data that makes it work. Who are they sending this warning to, themselves? Uh, the government. <laughs> <laughs> the VC firm said AI investments are so huge that any new rules around the content used to train models will significantly disrupt the investment community's plans and expectations around the technology, according to comments submitted to the U.S. Copyright Office. The bottom line is this. 
the firm known as A16Z wrote, imposing the cost of actual or potential copyright liability on the creators of AI models will either kill or significantly hamper their development. Yes, this is going to cost you lots and lots of money. Yeah, that's how it <laughs> fucking works, <Yeah>. Mark. Mark. <sighs> Oh no, did you put all your eggs into the basket that's made entirely out of stolen materials? No, oh, jeez. No. Oh, and now the US Copyright Office is murdering untold millions of future humans because they just don't get it. They don't wake up every day and say GM in the Discord chat. <laughs> they are old and out of date. Yeah, the US Copyright Office is NGMI. Not gonna make it. Uh, anyways, I guess stealing's actually good when AI does it. Yeah, but, you're actually killing people by enforcing copyright law. Uh -huh. It continues, though. The USCO is considering new rules on AI that specifically address the tech industry's free use of owned and copyrighted content to train large language models. A16Z argued that the only practical way LLMs can be trained is via huge amounts of copyrighted content and data, including something approaching the entire corpus of the written word <laughs> and an enormous cross-section of all of the publicly available information ever published on the internet. The VC firm has invested in scores of AI companies and startups based on its expectation that all this copyrighted content was and will remain available as training data through fair use with no payment required. Why? You don't get it. I'm supposed to make a shitload of money, and now you're saying uh, that copyright laws actually apply? Why? Is, I expected that they didn't. I do love that because they probably have a limited amount of tr tries at submitting something like this, they went for the broadest stroke like we uh want to show our right to have the entire written yeah, word the entire and, corpus of the written word and then the and everything that's ever been produced that at some point has made its way online which is probably the entirety of uh human knowledge at this point this shit a funny aspect of this shit that doesn't get enough like attention is the fact that like in order to do that you literally have to do piracy on a scale, like, unimaginable scale. Mm -hmm. uh, and and they've found, like, numerous examples of uh, these AI models sourcing from, like, pirate libraries online. Yeah. Like, literally, like, essentially torrent well, yeah, sites for, for e-books. In one of the early iterations of Dolly or whatever, it was putting the, like... Not Bandicam or whatever, but it was putting yeah. watermarks all over things because that's where it's pulling from. Right. But and with, it's not paying for them. But with books, it's like literally. Yeah. Like, it's not just like, oh, we took the information appeared out of nowhere. It's like, no, you did piracy. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, they were hiding behind seven proxies, so you can't backtrace it. That's right. Uh, but I, I've. You would think that, like, maybe someone as shrewd as uh, David Zaslav would see this as a very easy money making opportunity to go after. So yeah, this is especially rich coming from a guy who expects to make billions back on his investment. Uh, Mark Andreessen deserves that money because he has backed an emerging technology. But the people whose work is absolutely essential to that technology being able to do fucking anything, they deserve nothing. Yeah. Give, Ma give Mark the money. Also, Mark gets the money. An investment in, in that would be negligible compared to the investment that they've made in this technology. Like, yeah, also it's Tens like... Tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, invest that in the arts. Well, it would be more than that. It'd yeah. It would be billions. But uh, Well, what I'm saying is like for mo modern things that people are still alive for or whatever. Also, it's like if this, if this technology is as world shattering as you claim it is, then how can you put a price on that? Yeah, I guess. It justifies spending whatever it takes. Yes, he should spend until he's broke. 
Yeah. In order to make this dream come true. Come on, Mark. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, this... They just literally say that that's what they're saying, too. They're just like, I deserve the money, and they don't. Quote, those expectations have been a critical factor in the enormous investment of private capital into U.S.-based AI companies. Undermining those expectations will jeopardize future investment, along with U.S. economic competitiveness and national security. This is a important for national security. Not just for us, for everyone. Not yeah. just I'm not just mad that it's my money going down the fucking toilet. Yeah. This is bad for everyone, guys. The the positive is that when I get rich, the country is more secure. That's right. Mm-hmm. As goes Mark Andreessen, goes the nation. Yes. Yeah, so they, they, of course, they go on to talk about copyright enforcement and how it'll leave the United States vulnerable and outpaced. But come on, Mark, you're just mad because your infinite free money hack might actually end up costing you money. And how much money, you ask? The firm said payment for all of the copyrighted material already used in LLMs would cost the companies that built them tens or hundreds of billions of dollars a year in royalty payments. What I'm hearing is that Mark Andreessen's about to save the economy. We need Mark Andreessen to spend that money because... Keep uh, the guardrails off because if this guy's on the hook for hundreds of billions of dollars to what you would assume are a bunch of artists, creatives... Yeah, who uh, don't deserve anything. They deserve nothing. Uh, this is a great infinite free money hack for them. Yeah, I do love that this is a thing capitalists do a lot. They, uh, they, they love telling you how much risk that they assumed. And, you know, they're like, listen, I'm not like you. You, you with your steady job, you wage slave. I, I took the risk. But the second that risk actually becomes, comes into play, it becomes a factor. Yeah. They go running to uh, the government. Please. Please help me. I didn't know that I was taking a risk. It's not fair. It's not fair. I was supposed to just make money forever. Uh, well, let's move on now to the one issue that both sides of the political aisle in this country can agree on. We need to ban TikTok. Actually, no, uh, banning TikTok is one of two issues that everyone can agree on. The other one being unconditional support for Israel. Oh, good. Uh, just a wild uh, the, the march in support of Israel was, uh, was a strange scene. Lots of... Uh, Pretty unhinged signage in the crowd. You also, know you're on the right side of history when you bring on a, a hate preacher who previously said, like, uh, Hitler did nothing wrong or whatever uh, to yeah. support your cause because he coincidentally happens to support Israel, but for absolutely insane reasons. That's how you know you're on the right side of an issue. And just the scenes of, uh, yeah. Re- when, one, when one speaker calls, says, like, hey, I support peace, and, and the entire crowd goes, no ceasefire, no ceasefire. That's how you know you're on the right yeah. side of the issue. And then, yeah, across, literally reaching across the aisle and hugging each other on stage. Hey, we disagree on a lot, but we all agree that... Israel needs more munitions. Everything we're doing right now is right. Hey, hey, status quo. Let's go, status quo. Uh, there have always been valid national security concerns motivating politicians who want to crack down on TikTok, though. But clearly another huge motivation has been the fact that young people are on there learning about stuff like trans rights, anti-racism, etc. at a time when access to that kind of information in places like schools and libraries is under attack. Now, there's obviously plenty of other shit on TikTok, but the idea that kids are learning things that their parents don't want them to know about is always going to be something that older generations don't like. Yeah, it's... Tale as old as time. Yeah. So anyway, in the case of what's going on right now in Gaza, young people are seeing primary source videos of atrocities as they happen, and they're hearing explanations for what's happening that are slightly more complex than the official explanation, which is basically just 
Uh, Palestinians are evil. They want every Jew to die. And Israel is incapable of ever doing anything wrong. So everything that's happening right now is good, actually. Still, though, it, it would be idiotic to assume that the massive ceasefire protests across the country and the world are solely the result of TikTok indoctrination. But alas, that's become a popular talking point and the new reason that this country's political establishment wants TikTok gone. It's the it's the thing that they want to do that they can point to their constituents and say, we got rid of the problem. Yeah, if we just got rid of TikTok, America would be a Norman Rockwell painting if we just got rid of TikTok. Just in time for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, here's Motherboard with more on all this. TikTok has come under GOP fire in recent weeks after the app showed an apparent spike in pro-Palestine content after the IDF began its bombing campaign of Gaza following Hamas's October 7th attack. Republican politicians have publicly claimed that the company is intentionally promoting pro-Palestine content with the goal of, quote, brainwashing our American youth into supporting Hamas. But the proliferation of pro-Palestine content on TikTok isn't due to the app's algorithm, the company stated in a press release on Monday. Rather, it claimed that teenagers simply tend to support Palestine more. Attitudes among young people skewed towards Palestine long before TikTok existed, the release stated. Support for Israel, as compared to sympathy for Palestine, has been lower among younger Americans for some time. This is evidenced by looking at Gallup polling data of millennials dating as far back as 2010, long before TikTok even existed. Hmm, that's a pretty good rebuttal. And it's the same like political talking point, too, where they intentionally are lumping people who have sympathy for Palestine into right, yeah. supporting a terrorist organization. Yeah, uh, clearly everyone everyone out there protesting uh, loves Hamas. They fully support Hamas and everything they do. And, Again, and they learned it on TikTok before. They had never heard of any of this shit before then. It, they they learned it on TikTok. The, they're going to take the easiest possible option, and that is that all the young people who they already hate yeah. are supporters of terrorism and they're learning it on TikTok. Yeah, it's it's much easier pill to swallow. Yeah, they can explain it. It's easier than just examining. Maybe we lie. Yeah, about, maybe a little self-reflection would be in order. Maybe, maybe we have a tendency to present geo geopolitical affairs in the most simplistic way possible, and then when our youth, just on a fucking five-minute Wikipedia browsing find that we lied to them they yeah. uh, uh over the course of <laughs> they reacted over the course of strongly. decades about yeah. everything yeah and have caused atrocities around the world yeah i mean there's even uh, there's a thing happening right now on tiktok it's like I, people are discovering uh a letter that osama bin laden wrote in like 2002 and they're like wow this guy had a lot of uh good points and it's like i mean he kind of did. It doesn't justify what he did. Uh, but like when you grow up just learning like, oh, Osama bin Laden did what he did because he was pure evil and, no, he, hated, and he hates he us for freedom. our freedom. Yeah. And then you learn that the, you know, his motivations were maybe a little more nuanced than that. You're just gonna be like, wow, I've been lied to about this. What else have I been lied to about? Yeah. It is a pathway towards conspiratorial thinking if you, you know, in people that are maybe a little more susceptible to that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, imagine how much better off things had been if, like, if we had actually addressed any of the real fucking reasons why uh, attacks like that might have happened instead of just saying, well, they were evil and they did it. Yeah, um, we have a, quite a long track record of uh, horrific things that uh, are easy to learn about these days. And that needs to stop. We got to put a stop to that. Yeah. Uh, here's TechCrunch with more on this. 
Some American politicians blame TikTok for young voters' support of Palestinians and insinuate that the platform pushes pro-Palestine content over pro-Israel content, a sentiment that TikTok previously said is simply false. Creators who have voiced support for either side of the conflict allege that they've been censored. An open letter signed by multiple Jewish TikTok creators accuses TikTok of failing to moderate anti-Semitism claims that Jewish creators post about Israel aren't receiving engagement, while many pro-Palestinian creators have encouraged followers to use code words and symbols to avoid content suppression. The company responded to the allegations of bias again this week. Blunt comparisons of hashtags are severely flawed and misrepresentative of the activity on TikTok, the company said in a blog post published Monday. Further in the post, the company stated, our recommendation algorithm doesn't take sides and has rigorous measures in place to prevent manipulation. The post follows weeks of renewed calls to crack down on the app, which is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance, over national security concerns. In an interview with Sean Hannity last month, Senator Marco Rubio, little Marco, said that young Americans are, quote, amazingly pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas, and blamed TikTok for the constant bombardment of information, anti-colonial messaging, and all this other ridiculousness. Yeah, the kids should love colonialism. It's fucked up that TikTok has made our kids question the merits of colonialism, which is good. good colonialism is a, is a good thing, and the kids, they don't, they just don't get it. It's good. And yeah, Marco, uh, he used the phrase constant bombardment back there. That is an excellent, interesting choice of words. Maybe a Freudian sort of something. Your phrasing implies, correctly, that constant bombardment is a very bad thing. Now, could it be, perhaps, that America's youth are themselves also opposed to constant bombardment, though not of the figurative kind, but the literal kind involving bombs? Mm -hmm. Constant bombs. No, that would be ridiculous. Let's, uh, let's not be silly here. The youth have simply succumbed to that Chinese brainwashing. If not for President Xi's nefarious social media app, the youth would all be happily cheering on the blatant ethnic cleansing project currently taking place like good, loyal Americans. If TikTok weren't infecting the young, impressionable minds of our nation, entire families being wiped out by American-made bombs wouldn't be so controversial. If not for TikTok, they'd, they'd hear about doctors getting blown up after choosing to stay behind to be with their patients instead of evacuating and think, hey, that's good. That doctor and his patients deserved to fucking die because of uh, Hamas or, yeah. So yeah, clearly the problem is TikTok. It needs to go. And once it's gone, we're back, back to normal, folks. Yeah. People uh, will stop questioning things. It's a- uh, Stop! Just getting back to the, the Marco quote, the Hillary Clinton tweet from this week that was going around is just an incredible look it's a at... great new genre of post. You just take what a American politician said like a year and a half ago about what Russia is doing in Ukraine, and you put it side by side with them just saying Israel has the right to do whatever the fuck it wants, yeah, and anyone was, who says that war crimes are happening is obviously foolish. Yeah, Hillary Clinton's tweet was like, if Russia doesn't want to be accused of doing war crimes, they should stop bombing hospitals. <laughs> oh. Hmm. Oh. Is it, huh. huh. So, so you agree. Yeah. You agree bombing hospitals is Great a war tweet, crime. Hillary. Wonderful huh. stuff. Anyways, that's it for this week's episode of Tech News Day. We'll be back soon for News Dump. Uh, in the meantime, though, make sure you like the video. Like it. Click the like button right now. We're giving you some Leave time. Leave a comment. Leave a comment. Reply let's, to a let's comment. Let's get a conversation going. Yeah, there's a bunch of... If you see the people... That have, click the join button. You get the metal hands. Let everyone know that you support yeah. the channel. Talk that costs money, yourselves. but you know what's free? The bell. Yeah. The bell is the bell. free. 
Uh, anyways, if you do want to watch more of our videos, we have an episode from yesterday or the day before where Trump is, uh, he's saying some very, very dictator-like things, very scary things if you take them at his word, which you probably should at this point. Um, anyways, there's that one, and then there's a bunch of people. Turns out the happiest place on earth, Disney, is also the crappiest place on earth. Lots of poop everywhere. We'll be back for News Dump very shortly. In the meantime, uh, click the like button. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.